0: Good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, first up we have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Morning Penny. Good morning Pam, sorry I
1: didn't have my earphones on.
0: That's (laughs) (laughs) alright. I thought you'd be going elsewhere first. (laughs) Oh well. Always a surprise. Yes,
1: indeed. <laughs> it's still dark when I get up in the morning to come up here, but um, it's it's lovely that we've got a break in the weather for a couple of days. Oh,
0: yesterday was just glorious. It was
1: lovely, and today today's been uh, yeah, and today looks good until late in the day when it's going to start raining again. So, but that's fine. I've I've sworn that I will never again complain about rain. <laughs> um, and as I'm up high, even if we get heavy rain, you know, we don't get flooding. Yes, Um, but we've certainly had a little bit of flooding down our way. Um, down in some of the lower areas and we have to be careful about some of the roads and driving because there was water over roads. But um, I I guess for me the main thing at the moment is my soil is so wet that I can't really do anything much with it. So um, it's one of the things you have to think about after really heavy rain is you shouldn't be touching your soil.
0: Yes, and certainly not walking on it and compounding it. No, that's right, compounding
1: it, particularly with clay-based soils. Mm. Which
0: is always my problem.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: (laughs) Ah, dear. (laughs) Okay, we've also got to say a very good morning to Tim Sansom, who's marketing manager out at Plants Management Australia. Hi, Tim.
2: Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners.
0: Good to have you back again.
2: Yeah, nice to be back. I've had a similar drive up from Penny's neck of the woods this morning. I yes. lived down the same area. It was, and, and i say the same thing about um, water that's been around. I so this, we, we live on the Mornington Peninsula. And there are not actually any permanent streams on the Mornington Peninsula, or they're very ephemeral. There's a couple of them yeah, run a bit. Yeah. And I haven't seen so much water around than I as much as I have in the last couple of weeks. Like the yeah, last week. we've or so. had
1: we've had more than 80 millimetres. Yeah, in it's the, in staggering the last, amount of rain.
2: It's, it's phenomenal, light. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which is lovely to see. I always think that's a recharge. Yeah. It's you know all the all the catchments are full. The wetlands are having that, that real recharge and yeah, allowing... art's Kulat, full of water yeah. again. So I've, oh, I've
1: when I go riding, I often walk through art as part of the ride that I do, and um, it hasn't had water in it for nearly two years. So it's now got the lake is full of water. The ibis have come in and they're wow. starting their mounds and the ducks and swans are there, and it's just really exciting. It's, it is. It's exciting yeah. to see
2: these sort of pulses of ecology. yeah. And, yeah. you know, they don't happen every year, no. you know, and when you get a good event, it's like when, like, air fills or something, mm. this is our mini version <laughs> down the <laughs> <wall> in the Orleans <laughs> <peninsula>. cool <laughs> art, wetland, cool!
0: <laughs> but I tell you what, Tim, it's setting us up for summer this
3: year. Yeah, it is, it
2: is, and it's like, and like a day like yesterday, when the sun does come out, the wind stops, yep. and it's, a gl- it's glorious to be out in the garden. I, I actually spent the day yesterday... Going around my garden, finding the bits and pieces that had fallen over in the wind, or right. <laughs> and because the soil is quite wet, yep. uh, and I've got yep. a fairly heavy clay soil too, I've had a few things. I had a brachychin tree that was oh. that I planted as a little sapling. It had a girth on the trunk probably about six mm. or eight inches, and it just flopped over. So I think it was probably the wrong plant, in the wrong spot. Actually, it's self edited. So okay. I, <laughs> <laughs> to, that's to a chop nice it up
0: it. Yeah. as long as you're going to replace it,
2: yeah, something else will go in i mean, yeah. I think that's the thing I mean I've been in that garden for about ten years now, okay, and it's getting to the point where a few of those early plantings are sort of getting tired and falling over or or needing some change out, which is great because it now it gives me an opportunity there's new plants to get yes, there's gaps, big gaps big, gap, <laughs> big gaps after totally yesterday, too. <laughs> yeah, and I
1: think one of the things for me with the extra rain is that I was digging. Yesterday, um, just trying to uh, get something out of the ground, but um, it was it was actually wet underneath the trees. So it's been ages since you've dug underneath the trees and there's been any moisture in mm. the ground, sort of down to any depth, you know, beyond the first couple of centimetres. And it was wet further down. So, so, that's really so it is charging us up. It is charging us yeah. up. And, and, you know, that means that now it's time to think about getting your mulch on to you know, hold the, keep that moisture in the soil so mm. that it's not, it's not evaporating out once the weather warms up, so you know, things like that, but it's great to have that moisture there. Fantastic.
0: Okay, well we also have to welcome into the studio for the very first time a, a very special guest, Matt Chester, and Matt is Operations and Public Program Coordinator out at Ripponlea Estate. Morning, Matt.
3: Good morning, Pam. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, absolute pleasure. And uh, we're going to really chew your, your brains about the whole of Ripponlea Estate. Right. Because um, I don't know how much our listeners know about it. I know a, a few people, um, obviously, have gone some... down to visit, but um, it's an in some ways, unless you're down that part of oh. of Melbourne, I mean, people in the northern suburbs really often don't venture to. That's true. Cross. <laughs> That's right Yarra. yep and uh and so Great they don't divide. think to go and 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 visit so um yeah well so oh, it's a,
3: it's a good point you make i mean that we we have a lot of people i I met a lot of people at Riponley who say uh, you know I've lived in Melbourne all my life or i've you know been living in Melbourne for the last twenty years or whatever and i've I've never been to Riponley even some people in the local neighborhood uh have actually not been into Riponley or, or don't know very really? much about it true. Gosh. Okay. Shame on
1: them.
0: Oh, I think I'd be there every second day if I lived in the area. Yeah, I,
2: I remember as a kid going every, every at the, a school excursion. Right? Yeah. Was a, oh, yes. A, a, I think this was back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And getting a tour of the house and yeah. seeing where the family lived. Dressing and, up. And, uh, there was people dressing up. Yeah. There was rooms you couldn't go yeah. into.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh,
2: that's yeah. fair
3: enough. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. We've still got that. We've still got a really great education program. Runs uh, five days a week. And uh, people do dress up and they, they, they have the tours of the garden, they have the tours of the mansion and they, they uh, learn, you know, how the servants lived and, and uh, how the sidewoods, the first um, owners of the, of the property, lived and uh, they spend the whole day there. So mm. we, can, we can have a lot of students running around every mm. day.
0: I can imagine. Um, getting back to the, firstly, let's start with, with the estate and okay. the house itself. Um, what's, what's the vintage? When was it first built?
3: Sure. Well, Ripon turned 150 last year. So it was built in uh, 1868 by uh, Sir Frederick Sigurd. He purchased around 60 acres in Osterwick, which was just pretty much barren land, bushy, um, quite, quite uh, sandy soil. And with his wife, he started to, um, to, to lay out the estate and build the mansion and uh, continue that process for for around the next 20 years mm. um that that he and his wife and his family uh 12 children uh, lived at the estate
0: now it's built um using some um some very interesting brick isn't it
3: yes yes we've got some really classic uh, brickwork and uh, actually we have some people um recently came over and 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 studied uh studied the the, the way that uh, Ripponley has been built um you know some uh, you know, really lovely examples of polychrome brickwork uh, are there, and uh, and uh, still really in very good condition.
0: Mm. Which which I, I believe is was a tradition um, in Italy. Yes. So we borrowed that tradition over here.
3: A lot of influences from Italy in um uh, design, actually.
0: Yes. Yes. Fantastic. And um, of course, uh, the other thing is that when the estate was was built, um, that there were a lot of um, really innovative features went in uh, to not only the house but to the garden. Mm. Things like hot and cold running water, for instance, which, right. which just wasn't widespread back yeah, then.
3: That's true. Um, also, electricity. So Riponley, uh was one of the first, if not, I think it might have been the first uh, family home, at least, mm. to have electricity. And uh, Sir Frederick Sargood had a full-time uh, electrician. Keeping keeping that power running. Good heavens! Mm. When, when when it was first built, was it countryside? It was an estate.
2: It wasn't yeah. part of Melbourne, then. it was a, quite a distance from the centre of Melbourne. It
3: would have been a long carriage ride back then. Uh, well, it was sixty acres. It's least fourteen acres now, but uh, it probably would have been a good you know day trip yep. into Melbourne. But there was there was it was very else you know in in the, in that area, Riponlea itself as a suburb hadn't hadn 't yeah. been created so it was yet. it was new territory it was that 's right yeah
0: and uh, he also uh, incorporated an irrigation system into the garden
3: yes, he did yes so uh, he also became minister of of, of waterworks but um, Riponley that 's one of the most um, fascinating parts that we we have that's still operational so we uh, we have a, a lake at Lee, which is really a, a dam in itself, and we collect water from all areas through through Elstonwick, including um, Caulfield Racecourse. Okay, and that's um, funneled down in in quite large uh, Victorian brick lined um, uh, works and uh, it's funneled down into a into a into a second um, kind of subterranean dam, which is then pumped. Onto a, another holding area, onto the estate, and then a waterfall draws it um, into into the lake itself. So, you know, a lot of people look at that lake and think it's just there for um, ornamental um, features, but it's not. It's actually really the heartbeat of, of Lee itself. So, we're quite lucky when uh, in times of of drought, almost where a lot of other gardens uh, having to draw a lot of water from the from the mains network, we, we don't. We have our own our own water supply to rely on there.
0: Mm. So in a way, it's functioning a bit like Guilfoyle's volcano in the Royal Botanic Gardens.
3: Yeah, that's right. Similarities there. Uh, now, a um, once upon a time, uh, a series of windmills would uh, would would pull those pull that water into all the different um, areas of the garden. Uh, now we have a have a computer system that um, triggers on you know during the evening and, and pulls all that water into to the areas that the gardens are programmed that they, they, they know where water is needed.
0: Fantastic. Okay, well, we're going to come back and talk extensively about the garden, uh, but I must uh, first up get to some of our community announcements. Um, firstly, coming up down at Geelong Botanic Gardens, uh, their next uh, walk, guided walk, is coming up. Now, this is uh, taking place on Sunday, the 1st of September. It's entitled Plants from China. China had the first botanical garden in 138 BC, an enormous park with 2,000 different plants and hot houses. Uh, and the second emperor Yang Di in the in the Sui Dynasty uh, built the largest gardens in history and searched far and wide for rare and beautiful plants. Uh, 2,000 years of Chinese horticulture endeavour. Uh, enrich the gardens enrich gardens all over the world so this is what they're looking at on the walk you can join your guide at the Geelong Botanic Gardens front steps to see how many of the plants in the gardens have Chinese origins as I said it's Sunday the 1st of September time two o'clock uh, you meet your guide at the front steps of the garden and cost is
1: a gold coin donation. Pam, can I just say that the Geelong Botanic Gardens has got one of the best ginkgo trees, I think, that I have yeah. seen. It, is, it won't be in leaf at the moment, but the trunk and the way that well, it they're grows. Quite, and, yeah, and they're quite a they're beautiful white very, structure. And, uh, but yeah. yeah, very sculptural and it's well worth going just for that. And if you go in the autumn, the ground underneath the tree is just carpeted with these golden... Leaves. It is just extraordinary. Fantastic. So it's worth going just to see that and yep. I assume it will be in the walk given that it's a, a, a grown so widely <laughs> in China. Yes. yes.
0: Okay. Um, also coming up, uh, Australian Native Plant Sale is coming up. This is hosted by Australian Plant Society Wilson Park um, and the City of Casey Garden Expo. Now it's happening on Saturday the 7th of September, 9am through to 3pm gold coin entry fee now of course it's taking place at wilson botanic park which is at 668 princess highway in berwick they'll have a wide range of native plants plus raffles demonstrations food and entertainment there so that's 7th of september nine till three now uh also coming up um, encouraging women in horticulture are going to be running a sustainability forum turning our waste into resources this takes place on friday the 13th of september that's a rather auspicious date isn't it <laughs> um and uh there's going to be uh, several guest speakers uh erin rhodes uh from a Reduce Waste Advocate and author of the Waste Not books. Uh, Kelvin Ag from uh, Replas, which is Recycled Plastic Products, as featured on The War on Waste. And Jason Wunderlich from Just Eco Timber, which is Recycled and Sustainable Timber Products. The facilitator will be Sally Williams. <laughs> former Brand Power presenter, now sustainability advocate. Now the details, as I said, it's Friday the 13th of September, 10am through to 2.30pm. There will be light refreshments and lunch included. It's taking place at Ceres Van Ray Centre, which is at the Ceres Community Environment Park, Brunswick East. Uh, cost. If you're a member of Encouraging Women in Horticulture, $75. Non-members, $85. Student members, $50. And student non-members, $60. Uh, Spaces are limited. So you do need to book early. Uh, You need to RSVP and payment by the 6th of September. And you do that by going to events at ewha.com.au. So that's all lowercase events at ewha dot just a couple more I should uh, be mentioning uh, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society have got their spring show coming up 7th and 8th of September uh, and uh, this will be running from 12 noon till 4pm on the Saturday, 10 till 4 on the Sunday, camellias will be a highlight but there will be all sorts of flowers from late winter to early spring uh, entry to the show is still $5, children under 16 free and uh, the show is held in the Horticultural Hall within the Ferny Creek Ornamental Gardens at 100 Hilton Road East in Sassafras. Parking is free within the gardens and there are disabled spots near the hall. There'll be two plant stalls selling a good range of plants including some hard-to-get varieties. The cut flower stall and craft stall will be operating Light meals, drinks will be available during the weekend, as will a sausage sizzle. And weather permitting, there'll be regular (coughs) guided garden walks. Visitors can also bring a picnic to have in the garden. So that's taking place the weekend of 7th and 8th of September. And finally, just a couple of shows coming up that I should mention. Uh, 17th and 18th um, of August, uh, that... uh, is uh, coming up next weekend. Uh, the Waverley Garden Club and uh, Camellias Victoria are having their annual Camellia Garden and Floral Art Show. The venue is the Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent uh, in uh, Mount Waverley. Uh, time, Saturday 1 till 5, Sunday 10 till 4.30. Entry is $5 for adults, children are free. And the other one that's coming up that I should mention, August 23rd to the 25th, uh, Orchid Society, Council of Victoria have got their Melbourne Orchid Spectacular on again. The venue is KCC Park, which is at 655 Western Port Highway in Skye, times nine till four on both days, entry adults $10, children under 15 free, There'll be over 25 orchid displays, large sales area with many different orchids and orchid accessories, photography and art competition, and potting demonstrations at that one.
2: Okay. Can, can uh, I add one, Pam? Yeah, sure. Um, next weekend for um, gardeners in Melbourne is the Garden World Spring Launch Weekend. All right. So Garden World down in Uh probably one of Melbourne's, I'd say probably Melbourne's biggest independent garden centre. They've got their spring launch weekend, uh, so that's on Saturday the 24th and 25th. They're featuring new products. They've got some special offers, kids' activities. Uh, they've got giveaways and prizes and a, a bit of a celebration of spring. Great. So I think they're it's Brayside um, uh, on Springvale Road, Garden World. You yeah. can't miss it if can't you just head it. down Springvale yeah. Road. You'll see all the cars. It's <laughs> probably it's probably the most bustling garden centre in Melbourne. I find and it's, it's huge. It's, it's, it's huge. It's got great selection. Well,
1: we're very lucky with the quality of garden centres Yeah, we have, absolutely. we have in, in Melbourne. So there's some really good ones. Yeah, go and support independent garden, garden centres. Yep, absolutely. That's,
2: you know, you'll, you'll go in there, you'll ask a question and you'll get really good, good knowledge. I, I definitely know yep. that. I know several people that work at Garden World and they're yep. very knowledgeable gardeners that have been in the game for a long time. You get and, great advice.
1: And one of the things that shows how knowledgeable they are is the fact that they're holding their spring fair in August because spring now starts in August. Yeah. Very much so. so um, they it's not just on the calendar. Notice. No, no. Yeah. no definitely no, not. We had a day like yesterday. Yeah, yeah you don't we... have to. But things are coming out. I mean, white yeah. jasmine's coming into flower. And, you know, they're all spring yeah. things. Yes. Um, springs are much earlier. You know, winter's contracted to a smaller time. Yep. Fabulous.
0: Okay, uh, it is time that we invited our, our listeners to join us. If you have a gardening question for us this morning, we have Penny Woodward, Tim Stansom and Matt Chester in the studio this morning. So the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Matt, let's get back to you and let's talk the garden at Riponley because um, even back when it was first created, it was very much... A working garden, wasn't it? And it was meant to actually um, help sustain the whole household to provide, like, there's orchards, vegetables. Um, That's right. Yeah,
3: yes. Yeah. Well, uh, as I was saying, originally 60 acres, um, 14 acres now, so still quite a large piece of land, but. Uh, there was a, a the rest of that that 50 acres was the working part of the estate. So it's where you had your your vegetable garden to sustain not only the family but all the other servants that were working on that land. Uh, you had your sheep paddocks and your cow paddocks and your own dairy and and uh, pretty much everything you needed because Riponley was somewhat removed from the city itself. So mm. it, it 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 was uh, fairly sustainable. Mm.
0: And, and it still is. I mean, the, the heritage orchard is certainly there in all its glory. That's right. And, uh, of course the vegetable garden, you, you must remind listeners of, 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 the role the vegetable garden now plays.
3: Yeah. Well, we have, uh, we have eight, uh, vegetable garden beds. Um, those vegetable beds and, and, and herb beds are, are utilised by Attica Restaurant. Um, which is just down around the corner in, in Riponley. And uh, every day you'll see uh, the, the, the chefs from Attica Restaurant come over to the estate and uh, pick what they need for that, for that evening service. So it's, um, Ben Shuri developed that relationship with, uh, with Riponley Estate. And it, it was not only, um, so Ben could bring to the table produce that had been picked only a few hours ago, but also he understands that chefs are quite confined in a, in a small hot metal box, pretty oh, much. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and so it's a way that, that he provides well, fresh air, you know, sunshine, um, space to get out of that that quite enclosed environment.
1: Mm, But it's also really good because it means that the chefs actually get to see how the produce is produced. That's right. So that they have a knowledge of of the growth and the life and Mm -hmm. the cycles and Mm -hmm. seasonality and all that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. instead of just arriving in boxes from a greengrocer and knowing nothing about how long it's been nurtured in the soil... Mm the chefs get this whole of life. And it's the same at diggards. Mm. Um, you know, they, the chefs there know exactly what they're, where they're, how their food's been grown mm. and, and where it's come from and all that yeah. sort of thing. And it's really important.
3: And those chefs actually, um, they actually get into the into the garden and actually do some work. in it. Yeah. Uh, they do a bit of a working bee now and then with, with our gardeners. So it is, it is our gardeners at Riponley that, that maintain those garden beds. But, you know, once a month there'll be um, time to... Con- Completely change a bed or whatever, and and uh, so those 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 chefs will come in and work with our garden side by side to mm. to do that.
0: Does Ben Shrewy, um stipulate what he wants grown? He does.
3: Yes. Okay. Yep. yep. Ben Ben uh, talks with our with our leading hand gardener, um, Alicia. Hi, Alicia. If you're listening today, and uh, they'll they'll work out what's going to go through month by month. Okay. And so as Ben's uh, menu would be changing, so would would. Um, his direction for what he wanted to plant.
0: And, of course, he's had to learn the the life cycle of the plants because he's got to make sure that, that, that plants that he's wanting, produce that he's wanting, mm. is planted in time so that it gets harvested at the time when That's he wants right. to use it, when it's in full season. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's so a, great. It's,
2: it's a difficult challenge. I, it is. At, at Heronswood, when I was at Diggers Club, I actually was involved in planning the production garden. And for, the ho- there. for the restaurant For the restaurant and hooking in with the chefs. Mm. And we ended up with a quite a sizable spreadsheet that ran by, by variety, by month, by week, so date. And then it was dependent on the time of the year too. So, mm. so in the winter, it would
3: take much longer. The lead times would stretch. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I had lunch there uh, uh, last year sometime. I think um, that everything that goes onto the plate uh, in that restaurant is from that garden. Is that mm. correct? Ah. Uh, Okay, it depends on the time
2: of the year. Right. Uh, I, there was, there was always, I, I wouldn't put a figure on it. And yeah. I'm not there anymore. But, yeah. but we, had, we had targets to have you know, 50% of the plate or, the, or all the greens right. or it depends on the time of the year. Mm. Um, but it's... A big challenge. It's a challenge, yeah. yeah. I think people often think that kind of kitchen garden associated with a restaurant... And you see quite a lot of restaurants that have got a little kitchen garden at the front. That's mm. not anywhere near the volume that's what required it, oh, yeah. uh, it might it could be a good picking garden for herbs and things like exactly. that but the but the grunt the you know leaf crops and fruit crops that there's quite a lot of root crops and root crops oh, yeah. yeah there's they take time and mm. space mm. yeah it's, it's it, but but when done well it's yeah. it's a marvelous the, the, achievement. the
1: way that it has to work and can really only work properly you do the planning first but the menu has to reflect what's in the garden yeah so it can't be having a menu and saying, this has to be available. Mm. What you have to do is the chefs need to look at the garden and see what's available and what's
2: coming. Mm. That's and, right. and
1: then they do yeah. their menus. It's, the communication so, it's, was vital. Yeah. I think that was,
2: so uh, that was the key for us. That is, point, yeah. Yes, There's the master plan yes. of what we hope, yeah. but then there's this sort of running day-to-day, <laughs> day-to-day yeah. week-to-week. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, of course, the other beauty is that the chefs can actually play with varieties of, of fruit and vegetables that you might not normally get in the supermarket, so the average household yeah. is not getting to That's taste right. some of those. And that
2: was always the advantage, and I, I imagine it is at Ripon Lee's. You can get cultivars varieties things oh, diversity yeah, you just yeah. can't get at the market yeah there's
3: some really rare stuff that um that Ben's got going there and look it's not only uh does does Ben uh, not only pull uh produce from those garden beds but he also um, uh, Collects some uh, some uh, ferns um, that we have in the in the fernery there at Ripley and and utilises those in the menu and we have four bunya bunya pines at Ripponlea and when I first started nearly three years ago one of those bunya bunya pines uh, dropped nearly 20 cones wow and um, if listeners are familiar with the bunya bunya pine the, those cones are are about the size of a basketball and weigh about 10 kilos. And, uh, so we had to obviously rope off that tree because if you got hit by one of those mm. guys, you wouldn't be very happy. And, uh, Ben takes those, 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 those pine cones basically and, uh, takes the kernels from those and extracts the pulp, uh, from inside that and, um, uses that for one of his signature dishes, which I think is a smoked kangaroo dish. Mm. So he, he had a lot of those going his direction when, when, when that tree was dropping those. Yes.
0: Now, of course, a lot of, uh, listeners will be familiar that uh, the ABC used to be the next door neighbour, and, and in fact, there were plans at one stage. The ABC actually wanted to buy up more of Lee Estate, didn't they?
3: There was a compulsory acquisition uh, order that did that did happen uh, in the in the in the fifties, um, and you know that that's a that's a big story of Lee and that's really why. Um, you know Riponley is is what it is today where where people from from Victoria or anywhere in the world can go and explore and and learn about Riponley because uh Louisa Jones who was the the last owner before the National Trust um uh, got the property uh you know she uh was so touched by by the local community who all came out and rallied um to stop that acquisition going mm-hmm. ahead um that she said that upon her death um, she would leave the property to the people, and, and that's 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 exactly what happened.
0: Fantastic. What is it like um, working under the auspices of the National Trust? Has it changed everything terribly much? Uh,
3: well, working for the Trust is dynamic, uh, to say the least. Um, you have to be many things when when you work for the trust. The trust has uh, over thirty uh, properties that are not just mansions or gardens, but there 's also rainforests and and, and and many other things so um, being in that role you you have to be an event manager or you have to be a, a safety operations person. you have to be a, a volunteer coordinator um, it 's it's challenging but it 's diverse and it 's it's, it's fascinating
1: mm. and I think the National Trust has come into the modern age a bit now, too. They're much more proactive. And I, I worked for the National Trust 30 years ago. Okay. And managing a property in the Western District. Yep. And uh, it what was... What was that one? Mooramong. Oh, Mooramong. Lovely. Um, in fact, I was the first caretaker. Right. Yeah, running the garden. Okay.
3: They're um, doing a lot of work out at Mooramong at the moment. It's big yeah, renovations. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's a fascinating property. It's an amazing property. Um, and it's it's very much internally it's Art, art Deco internally and um, very glamorous. It's, it's well beautiful pool. Used to be, <laughs> I painted that pool at one point. <laughs> 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 I emptied it and I was out there with the rollers and paintbrush, uh-huh. and I think I nearly asphyxiated myself being <clears> down in oh, gosh. with all the. Smi- anyway, that's <laughs> it. that was a long time ago, and I was young and silly. But um, the 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 garden um, had a design by Edna Walling which they had framed up on the wall, but the idea was, the, or the consensus was, that it was actually never put into practice, or if it was, it was only small parts of it that were put into practice. So, But it has this fabulous walled garden, and then it has the parkland outside it that's full of old fruit trees. I assume they're still there. And one of the, yes. one of the things that I did when I was there was that we started establishing, because the property was left not just the house and garden, but all the... Uh, I think how many acres, oh, hectares. I no, I was, uh, anyway, I was, yeah, three thousand hectares. Yeah, it's a big, it's a, you know, big it's a, it's a grazing property was yes. left with the with the thing. Right. and part of it was to regenerate some of the country, some of the grasslands and the forest, and the trees and all that sort of thing. And one of the things I was doing was propagating and planting out. Um, some of into some of, the, and there's actually a paddock there named after me. Oh, called Penny's paddock. You'll have to go <laughs> to,
3: after the renovations. You that have has to go a out. a certain yeah. ring to yeah. oh, well, I'd it. I'd love those.
1: to. I'd love to go out and have a look. I haven't <laughs> thought about it for years, actually. But <laughs> what I was going to say was, in those days, the National Trust was quite a difficult organisation to work with. Um, and it's it, it depended on who was in charge and all that sort of thing, and and it didn't pay very well, and it was didn't there was they weren't looking after people terribly well, and I'm just hoping that these days you know things things are going better and they've come more into the sort of modern age of um, you know running things efficiently and mm. doing things well, so um, but yeah I think th- I think the trust does a really important job all over. Australia, and but particularly in Victoria, running, as you were saying, really diverse properties. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Well, without
0: them, some of these properties could have been lost forever. Indeed. Yes.
1: Yes, yes. And, they're, and they're precious. Our heritage is precious. You only have to look at what's being bulldozed on a regular basis. Mm. In yes. our mm. Absolutely.
3: And, I think that's, and that's a, a good point that uh, a lot of people might think that the Trust is about Mansions and, and gardens. I was saying, but we have a, a one of our main major roles as advocacy, is is to to fight the fight. And uh, just recently, um, you know, we, we had a great victory with Federation Square, uh, where mm-hmm. where there there was a design plan to to pull down one of the buildings at Federation Square. and Build a shop for an organisation, and uh, we fought hard and long to stop that happening. So and
1: this isn't the ABC, so you can actually say that it was the <laughs> yeah. Apple yeah. Apple yeah. Store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, we,
3: and, and you know, and also we uh, we hold the um, the uh, uh, significant tree register for yes. for all over Australia, um, which is something we're very very proud of. Mm. Uh, so you know, whenever there might be a, a tree in threat that, that has um, well, every tree has value, but significant value for whatever maybe reason of age or location. Um, we will fight hard to have that tree put on that register so it is protected. Mm,
0: yes, that's very significant, and you've got quite a few significant trees on the property. We do, you?
3: yes, yes. Some of them are the, what we call the first planting, so they've been there from from the very start, originally, Some of our Moreton Bay figs, mm. and uh, and as I was talking, the, the Bunya Bunya pines, which um, are very very slow growing, but um, We've got some really lovely examples of those. As Are well. there
2: any that predate the European settlement? Is there the any, is bunny
3: there any rec- well, no, any plants, or trees
2: on the property? Is there any recognition of first uh, uh, river,
1: river red gums or no? There's a
3: star? there there is a gum there that that, that probably does. Uh, there's um, there's two other um, trunks of, of of gums that that have been aged. I think of to about four to five hundred years. Okay, um, and they they weren't taken out, which is an interesting thing in itself. So they were were left there um, by all those uh, four owners now Mm. um, as a a part of the landscape of that garden.
0: Mm. Mm, That's great. Uh, Getting back to the garden as well, um, there's so many other features in the garden that uh, if if people haven't visited, will not realise. For instance, um, the fernery.
3: Yes, the fernery, yes. (laughs) One of the um, one of the largest surviving ferneries of its kind in the world, actually, and so it's the it's the largest in the southern hemisphere. And we were talking about all that uh, that water before. It's it's if you're thinking about going out there today, take your gumboots. Uh, it is a little bit under flood at the moment, uh, but uh, there's still lots of areas and they're accessible. But we also yeah just started doing a lot of work. We we had a campaign last year to uh, raise funds for the fernery, which was in desperate need to uh, have some work done on, on its southern wall. And uh, we, we started that last week, so we've taken that down mm. and uh, in the process of putting it back up again.
0: Okay, okay. And also, um, you've mentioned the lake before and the waterfall. Um, there's some wonderful bridges too in the garden, aren't there?
3: Really lovely example of some, of some ironwork on those bridges. And you'll see some uh, of, of the same uh, design in the uh, botanical gardens, actually. Mm. So it was done by the same foundry. Um, yes, lots of bridges. They're always a lot of work to keep up, and, and uh, you know, not making sure people don't go through them. But um, it's, a, it's a very beautiful, very beautiful lake, and it has a, a boathouse, so we can actually get out in the boats and have a row around. And uh, lovely, yeah. um, uh, you know, collection of uh, of bird life that, that, that calls that lake its home as well.
0: Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Now, um, how often is the garden open to the public? Seven
3: days a week. There you go. 10 to 4 at the moment, and then when we come into um, into uh, warmer weather, it'll be 10 to 5, and close just two days of the year, Christmas and Good Friday.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. And, of course, uh, you run a lot of events out at the property.
3: We do, yes. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good uh, source of income for us, running, running events, and uh, what have we got coming up? We've got um, Fathers and Dogs Day, um, so normally... <laughs> Dogs aren't uh, that allowed. That
0: sound good for the garden. Dog,
3: not dogs. Well, the fathers the dogs? Or the dogs? <laughs> <Yeah>. well, probably <laughs> both. Don't I, give them a chainsaw. I did get a little bit of resistance uh, from our gardening team when I proposed this event, uh, but we've, we've managed to get it across the line. But uh, no, dogs, uh, uh, we all are dog lovers at Rippinley, but dogs, um, because of the nature of the sensitivity of the environment at Rippinley, uh, dogs aren't allowed in, but uh, this one day for Father's Day, we are throwing the gates open and you can bring your dog in.
0: Wow. On a lead. On a lead. lead. Very much under control. And and if
3: they're nice-natured as well. And you'll be given a small bag uh, to... To collect. Uh, ...to collect should you need it. <laughs> Fair enough. So <laughs> that, that's Father's Day. That's, that's the, the so next one coming up. No, okay.
1: No competitions for the, we dog. Do the have... dog that most resembles its owner or anything <laughs> like
3: that? Well, we've, we, we are having a dog show, actually, and uh, some of the categories are, well, there's best dog in show, there's best tail, best dressed... <laughs> Uh, I can't remember the other ones, but, yeah, there'll be a, uh, with some great prizes, actually. From uh, We're working on that one with um, the Riponley Veterinary Hospital, okay. uh, who have been great sponsors. Um, and so together we're collaborating to put that event on.
0: Yeah. Now, what are some of the other types of events that you run down there?
3: Well, we were talking about the, that uh, orchard. We have 132 um, varieties of, of apples and pears in that orchard. Uh, we, so we have a Heritage Apple Festival In March With whatever uh, apples we, we have left After the birds have come along And had a good nibble at them uh, We have our, our Teddy Bears Picnic uh, Which takes place in, in February that, That's one of our largest events That's about three to 5,000 people Goodness um, And look, we have many, many other events All, all through the, the year uh, We've got a Monster Mash Ball Coming up for, for you know Around the time of Halloween um, And we've Recently, I've been very, very lucky, very fortunate to acquire a grant from Council, from Glenara Council, to stage uh, an event uh, in October, on the 20th of October, called Botanica. And Botanica is going to be, well, all things botanical and uh, focusing on sustainability.
0: Fantastic. Now, to run all these events, I mean, you must have to have a myriad of staff or volunteers or both. How do you do
3: it? <laughs> well, we, we we don't actually have um, a, a large staff force at Riponley. We we have our gardeners, so we have three full-time gardeners, and we have two apprentices. We have uh, the head of horticulture and properties, uh, who who also has uh, his desk at, at Riponley, uh, and then there's there's myself, and then there's an events coordinator. So it's 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 not a huge. Um, uh, team, really, uh, but what we do have is we have a big team of volunteers, um, which, which is really, uh, you know, how we survive. Mm. And without our volunteers, uh, we just, we just wouldn't be able to open the doors, really. Mm. Uh, so we have around um, uh, somewhere between 150 and 200 volunteers. Oh, that's great. <laughs> they're not there all at once, obviously, no, I mean, but, of course. Uh, but they, they, and they have a variety of, of, uh, of, um, of tasks that they, they do, they might, uh, some uh, people that take uh, tours through the mansion, others take tours through the garden. Uh, we have conservation cleaning teams, um, some of our brilliant volunteers that run the gatehouse, which is where you're going to come in and buy a ticket to get into the property or have a tea and coffee on your way out. Um, and, and many, many other, and a bunch that, that, that are helpful uh, when, we, when we're staging those events. Mm,
1: mm,
0: fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant.
3: <laughs> they are a brilliant bunch.
0: What would we do? I mean the whole of Australia I think runs on volunteers, to be quite honest. I don't know what we'd do without people who don't volunteer their time.
1: Yeah. Well I mean start with us. Yeah, we're all yeah, exactly. Here. Exactly. <laughs> volunteering. <laughs>
0: Exactly, but yeah. the point is we get a oh, lot of fun out abs- of it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, and we yeah. love sharing knowledge and yeah. hearing from our listeners. Yeah. Uh, and that, so it
1: wasn't a complaint. No, I, just, I realise. Just so I'm, I'm just, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, totally.
2: Well, I mean, the 150, 200 volunteers at Rip and Lee—it's staggering. A number of people, mm. and I'm sure it's they're getting great benefit out of that. It's not just yeah. you guys—they're getting yeah. this wonderful community engagement. How, how, how do people get involved? How do they become a volunteer?
3: Uh, look, if you're interested in being a volunteer at Ripponlea, just go to the website, um and send through an email on the um, – you know, contact us and I'll be the one that will pick up that email and, and we can start having a conversation. Uh, I, d- I didn't also mention that, uh, that most, uh, most importantly that uh, we have a, a great team of uh, volunteer gardeners and they mm. meet um, every Wednesday. We call them the garden party. And uh, some of them have been coming along for, for 30 years. Wow. Um, to That's that garden tremendous. Like, I mean, A to, great
2: bunch. To get, and to, that
3: would be such an
2: engagement. For someone who's interested in gardening... Gardening in, it can be quite a solitary pursuit yeah. when you're at home on your own. Oh but to yeah. have a group to garden mm. with, trade mm. ideas, trade mm. plants. Learn. Mm. But learn. Yeah, but it's more train.
1: than that, too. It's, it's part of your social life. Yeah. You know, you, you, these people that you garden with become part of your life in, yeah. in other ways as well. And, and that cool. social contact is yeah. really... And we learn really
3: a lot important. from them as well. Yeah. Because, uh, you Because know, for, for some who have been there that long, um, we, we can understand, you know, well... They tell us what was in this garden bed at yeah. this time or, you know, uh, what trees were doing, what, when, where and so mm. on. So we've learned a lot mm. from them.
1: Yes, very I've invaluable knowledge. Just wanted to say that as far as I'm concerned, I've, I call into the Lee Gardens um, when I can. I haven't been recently, um, but I think that apart from the Botanic Gardens, in, in central Melbourne, they're probably one of the best gardens in Melbourne, mm. and uh, they're just beautiful. Mm. They're just because of everything that we've been discussing, the bridges, the greenhouse, mm. and that's before you even go inside, and the inside is, is fascinating yeah, as, yeah. as well. And one, one of the other things that they do um, inside is is having the, some of the vintage clothing mm-hmm. things, which I know is really appealing to some of the younger generation because my daughter lives not far. Mm-hmm. From, yeah, but like, yeah, probably... She goes to those yeah, things well. exhibition times. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, mm. no, I mean, I think... Um, Ripley is a lovely example of a, of a mansion. Um, there are many other mansions, you know, around around the world, but uh, similar to Ripley. But what there isn't uh, is what we have is one of the best uh, preserved Victorian pleasure gardens in the world. Yep. and yep. Uh, and you know, throughout its 151 years of of life, um, all the different four owners at any one time could have significantly made Major changes to that garden. Um, obviously I, we were 60 acres, now we're 14, but the, the other 50 acres were that working part of the estate. Um, the, the actual 14 acres of that Victorian pleasure garden had been preserved and really not one of those owners came along and said, I don't like that part of the garden, uh, and bulldozed it out that yes. and rip it out yep. and start again. Yep. They didn't even things like the, the, um, the archery hut where the ladies of the estate played played archery while the men were having a a shoot up in the shooting range up in the back corner or the tennis pavilion or the tennis court or whatever else, the bridges uh, um, and the lake, thank goodness, uh, protected, um, have survived. Mm. And that's what makes Rippinley so very unique. Mm.
0: It was a different era back then, wasn't it? <laughs>
3: We're yes. we not enough, enough archering this afternoon, Pam? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going
2: shooting either. Oh, <laughs>
3: all right, good.
1: <laughs> Matt, do you think there's a time of year when it's at its best, or is it a garden that you can really come and see any anytime?
3: I think it's a garden you can see any time, really. Um, but look, I actually love it when it's a really rainy day at Ripponlea. Mm. You know, it it feels like like you're in the country. It feels like you're so removed from the city, even though you can mm-hmm. see the city skyline. Um, you know, that that kind of yeah, dark and kind of Poetic feel that it has. And then we head into spring where we get a lot of the apples with the blossom. And then we head into summer days where the, where the property's just, you know, really activated by, by visitors and it's, it really comes alive. It's, it, something's happening always. It's, it's always, when it's, when it's dark and quiet, it's, it's quite lovely as well. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. yeah.
0: You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show uh, in the studio this morning. We do have Penny Woodward, Tim Sansom and Matt Cheston from Ripon Lee Estate. Um, if you'd like to ask a gardening question, we do have our talkback lines up and running. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Susie on the outside line, that number there is nine eight three double seven. Tim, let's go have a bit of a chat about some of the plants you've brought in because you've brought in some beautiful, beautiful flowers I have, this
2: morning. I have. For listeners at home, I'll have to put some <coughs> pictures on the um, on the Facebook and the Instagram because yes. it's hard to describe, but I'll have a go. Okay. Um, so I've got here um, three uh, cultivars of hellebores, the winter rose or Christmas rose, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, um, which are uh, obviously a winter flower. Um this time of the year we're pretty coming to the end of the flowering cycle of hellebores. So people that know hellebores will have seen them in gardens quite a lot. Um, I know personally at my place there, when there's little else offering blossom for the bees, there's, they're an absolute uh, magnet the, for the bees at this time of the year. So it's nice to see that there's something keeping them active. Um, there's And hellebores, I mean, there's there's some terrific hellebore growers uh in melbourne and is in fact peter lee at post office oh, Farm yes. has a he's wonderful renowned. range he's very well renowned yeah. he breeds his own cult- makes his own selections um the varieties that i've got here are actually uh cultivars that are bred in holland so they're not peters they're okay. um they're some that are offered through a breeder that we have some connections with through plants management australia in holland and i think the genetics originally come from some well from garden genetics in the uk but the lineage of hellebores is actually very complicated and the crossing between the various species, sternii, corsicus, fetidus, uh, there's all sorts. Orientalis is probably the most common or most recognisable one and Peter's, most of Peter's lines are orientalis. Although or I, know, I, know, I do know he brings other species into his, into his collection. But these, I couldn't actually tell you, they're a hybrid of, right. of, of Undisclosed origin okay. It's a tightly held secret In this squirreled away breeding house in Holland Okay um, But the three I've got here I've got one which is called Anna's Red Which has a very deep burgundy petal The back of the petal is very deep Especially when it emerges from the bud And these sort of delightful uh, Yellow pistils and stamens uh, That sort of sit beautifully in gold in the middle of the, of the plant Quite a striking contrast <coughs> to the deep red They also have a very deep red stem, which is quite a long stem, mm, um, is. which has seen this one used in cut flower. We're seeing quite a bit of attention um, by the florists. Okay. Uh, we've How got, well do
0: they last? They yeah. last quite
2: well. Do they? Um So there's there's a couple of ways you can bring hellebores into the house. You can bring it in as the plant, yes. um, so you bring in the whole thing, put it on the kitchen bench Leave it there for two or three weeks and enjoy a living bunch of cut flowers and then you can take it back out and, and back into the garden, or you can cut the flowers now these are so we've had um, there's there's a uh, well, um, there's a fellow called Ed uh, uh, he calls himself the private gardener I think on Instagram and give okay. him, Ed a little plug uh, he does gardening for uh, the uh, what's the, the property in Alinda, which uh, will come to me in a minute, but it's associated with, um, Flowers Vazette, which is the florist on Brunswick Street. Uh, Beechmont is the property. Okay. Um, and Ed's been growing these in the garden there for three or four years now, and then cutting them and sending them to the florist for them to use in floral displays, and they're having great success. So they're holding for weeks in, wow. in vase, okay. vase displays. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Because, because these varieties, these cultivars, are at, uh, the three I've got here, it's, they're bred, they've got a tougher leaf. They've got, if anyone's familiar with hellebores, some of the leaves like Sternii and Corsicus have got quite a tough, sort of leathery, marbled foliage kind of leaf. These are of that, that ilk. Uh, so they actually have, the, and that sort of runs into the stem and the, the robustness of the stem. So the stem will sit, oh, it can be, you know, eight, eight to ten inches high. Um, So cut them low and you've actually got a floral display. I I will put some pictures on. I got some pictures from Cherie when when I was at Flowers Vazette of Anna's Red being used in some of their displays and okay. it's quite they're quite stunning
1: and they're a bit more um the flowers are a bit more upright yeah, so they, yeah. most telebores sort of hang down so that it's harder to see the face of the That's flower right, but these yeah. are these are more they still droop a bit but, but they all kind of droop a bit I yeah, think, and but it is these part of the breeding yeah but these droop. do
2: sit a bit more upright mm, mm. um which means that you can see all the all the stamens in the center yeah. of the flower quite obviously yeah. Um, but the back of the pedal is a beautiful mm. colour too. I, mean, I know we've, we've why got. Do,
1: why do they call them red when they're actually? Yes. broken? <laughs> it gives a beautiful false <laughs> image. But they're not <laughs> red. They're there, there
2: so understand. Rodney, who originally bred Anna's red, called it Anna's red. There was a. It was I think it was a journalist who was he was working with at the time. He's named it after her. Uh, but it is more a burgundy. Yes, yes. It's, it's a beautiful complete. burgundy. It's, it's not I a fire engine it. red. No no, 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 no. I don't think there is a hellebore <laughs> that's fire engine <laughs> <No>. red. <laughs> but
1: they do it all the time. They try and make it more emphasising yeah. a colour. Let's have them it, distant, really. yes. yeah, well, it uh,
2: Anna's red, or, or but it is, uh, Anna's burgundy for Penny.
1: Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, so that's one. Uh, I've got another one here which is called Charmer, which doesn't refer to its colour, so we could, we're safe there. Um but it's a, a similar colour, uh perhaps a, a slightly more dusty version of of the burgundy, but it also has a beautiful mottled petal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's and very similar very similar looking stamens and um the centre of the flora- the floret. Um the difference really between these two and it's hard to to, to depict, unless you see the whole plant, is that it is a smaller plant. So it has its foliage and its 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 flowers are set more lower in the ground. So great for container display. Yeah. Um, uh, something that you you know you'd have a little splash, of highlight on the front porch, or, or put you know somewhere front of the border, um, or, or on the edge of a, or of a garden because it's just that little bit smaller, but so much flower power. Like these 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 plants where I took these from. Were planted a year ago, and have over one season have developed a massive amount of flower. So, are these are these from your garden? Uh, these are from these are from a garden in Monbock. Mm-hmm. Uh, where our office is in Monbok, uh and we've planted up a, a whole sort of living catalogue of all our, our plant varieties there. And these these were cut on Friday from the garden. Right. So they will grow. hellebores will grow. Well, they're a pretty tough plant actually. They'll grow in pretty much anyone's garden in, in our climate. Uh, in fact, right the way up to Sydney, we've, we're even, I even did see some on the market in Brisbane last week. Good heavens. Okay. Which, which I think is grown up in the hills you mm. know, yes. in, inland a bit. Yes. Um, I don't know how long they would last on the coastal mm. areas, but certainly anywhere in, in, in Melbourne, in Victoria. I mean, hellebores are a woodland plant. That, that so they, they, they need grow. a bit of shade. They, well, they prefer <coughs> shade. They prefer shade. It's yep. interesting because... Talking to the Dutch breeders of these varieties, they say they will take full sun. Yeah, now, that's in Holland. That. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so and I've made that point. Yeah. Sort of. yeah. But I have planted a couple of these out in areas where they're getting afternoon sun. Yep. And because it's quite a leathery leaf, it's quite mm. a tough okay. leaf, well, and, well, and well, they actually nice. effectively go into some dormancy in, in the mm. summer anyway. Yep. Okay. So because they're a winter yes, active of course. plant. So you can actually get them to go through the summer. Mm don't really need a lot of water I mean they, they, they grow under a canopy of trees and like Penny was mm. saying before often under a canopy of trees in a, in a not very wet winter that's quite a dry environment mm. so they, they're actually more drought tolerant than perhaps yep. we, we note um, but I would at the same time I would say they're not you know, they're not a lavender or they're not a, mm. a, a no, bravillia they're, they're, yes. they are a woodland plant a bit of shade is best for them sort of dappled sun in the mm. afternoon sun in summer is probably their ideal mm. um, and I have one other variety here which is called Sophie's Delight um, and it's it's got a, a beautiful sort of Piketty, um back on the, the... The front of the petal is, is white and the back of the petal has a sort of a burgundy vein to it which creates a sort of a bi-colour um, um, perspective and it's another one that's being used in cut flower, long stems, um, very, very floriferous upward-facing petals. Uh, so those three are Anna's Red, Charmer... And Sophie's delight. I'll put some pictures on the mm. on the um the Facebook and the Instagram. Great. So people can have a look at what they're like. But they're they're in the stores now. But they're pretty much finishing up. Yes. Um. But a good time to plant them now if 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 there's some left in the stores because they'll flower happily for you in 12 months time. Mm. Mm.
0: Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to the team on air, or if you'd like to have a chat to Susie on the outside line, nine four one nine eight three double seven. Penny, you also wanted to have a chat about the magazine. I did, but can I just
1: mention something else first? Sure. Um, I, I think I've mentioned it on air a couple of times, but if you want to plant late garlic, you can put it in now, but it needs to be one of the Creole group. Garlics. So if you've got some garlic left that is from the Creole group, so a Spanish Roja, a Rojo de Castro, Rojo del Pebas, a dynamite purple, they're all Creoles. Um, There have been quite a few growers experimenting with spring planting or or late winter planting of this particular group of garlics. Okay. So um, if you've got any of those left, it's worth putting some in. Um, And what the growers are finding is that instead of the garlic taking eight months, you can get a crop in five months. No. Now it seems so, to so depend a bit on the season. So you still be harvesting around Christmas. Yeah. 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 Or soon after Christmas. Yeah. So so just into January. And it depends a little bit on the season, but if you get them into the soil now in the right conditions, um, you can get, uh, they probably won't be quite as big as the ones I that going you to planted say, earlier, yes. but you still get a, you still get a decent crop. So I just thought if there's anyone out there with some cloves of this garlic. Um, of these garlics left that um, it's worth putting them in the ground and, and seeing what happens. Okay. So it may depend a bit on what our spring is like and if we get really intense heat early it, it may not do so well this year but last year I know quite a few growers who did really well out of um, planting late, late Creole. Garlics. And what,
2: what is it about the Creoles specifically that makes them... <laughs> they last until then. Okay.
1: Because most garlics have sprouted by now, and
2: they're already yeah. So they're either mush or they're sprouted, and it's yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. So the creoles and the silver skins can, will store for 12 months. Okay, but for some reason, the creoles seem to do better than the silver skins mm. um, it, with this with this late planting. Mm. So give it a go yeah, and report back. Try. to a try. Yeah. Love, yeah. To hear, love to hear how mm. how it goes. Cause Absolutely. It's, it's a bit experimental. But, yeah. But, um,
0: yeah, worth trying. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay, back to the magazine. Okay.
1: Um, the, this is the new issue of Organic Gardener, and I'm sure I've mentioned it before. We're now doing eight issues a year. Um, we, we, were, uh, we were six, and um, then some bright spark decided we should do seven, and that never really made sense because we just had one extra magazine in spring. Um, now we're doing eight, which means there's an issue coming out about every six weeks, um, which we're still getting our heads around because it just it's a, lot a lot more work. Yeah, every a lot more writing. Yeah, that's yes. right. um, so yeah, but it's it's um, th- this. I think this is a really interesting issue. Justin's written about beetroot, and I think beetroot is a very much underappreciated vegetable because there are so many different ways it can be used and I think more and more we're understanding that for a lot of our vegetables you don't just use one part of them you, exactly you use the bulbs with beetroot you use the young leaves and I've also started using the um the stems. Um, mm. yep. as Go the same a way as you'd use as you do some silver beet stems. So I think
0: beetroot leaves are beautiful. Yes. They've got a sweetness to yeah. them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the the colour, if you're growing oh, some yes. of the, the deep red beetroots, you get deep red leaves which just look fabulous. In yeah. so but the golden beetroot, yeah. you get
0: beautiful golden stems. You do. So yes. you do.
1: And, and yeah, so they're they're well worth well worth planting. Um Karen has actually written about amaranth and uh, that's absolutely fascinating because amaranth is grown so widely and it's, a, it's actually quite a drought-tolerant plant but you can grow it for its leaves, for its seeds um, and... Um, Yeah, for for, and yeah, for its leaves and its seeds. So, oh, and for the flowers. So you have these amazing love lies bleeding is the is sort of the name that's used for the you know. So they can be really all ornamental as well as being Mm. useful. Mm. There is some. There is some. The the leaves have some nitrates in them, so you generally either only eat them really small and fresh, um, or you cook them. So which dissipates the dissipates the nitrates but it's amazing how many cultures they're used in i know that when we did the community garden book we found that almost every culture that we have, you know the 20 different cultures of people that we spoke to they all grew amaranth and mm. used, used them in different ways um so that's a really interesting article
2: it's one of those crops that i mean if you compare because it, it's a staple of many yep. cultures oh yeah, uh, yep. used in you know for grain and milling yep. and but it doesn't seem to have been as highly bred. It hasn't been sort of commercialised. I mean, a lot of the varieties are still um, heirloom varieties yep. with beautiful yep. colouring, and, yep. and which is fantastic because yep. they're wonderful in the garden. Yeah. But for some reason, it never really caught the eye of the commercial print. The, the...
1: the thing that has been commercialised are the flowers. Mm. So there are ones that are bred specifically for the amazing, yep. brightly coloured flower heads. And you've got bright yellow and yeah. orange yeah. and reds they're and they're burgundies. Fluorescent, and, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're right. As far mm. as the leaves go and the seeds go, we don't have cultivars, mm. a lot of cultivars, apart from a few heirloom, that mm. are actually grown for those specific purposes. Mm. So, so yeah. So look, it is, a, it is a really interesting plant. Um, H- Helen McCarroll has, has written about kumquats, um, okay. which is, I, you know, I grew up with kumquats, the really sour ones that all we ever, <coughs> mum, mum used to put them in alcohol and, you know, make, Kumquat, kumquat brandy. brandy. Kumqu- kumquat brandy, which my dad loved, but I never really ate them. But there's apparently masses of different kumquats around, which are absolutely edible. And with yes. some of them, yeah. it's the skin more edible almost than the flesh. Yeah. Yep. Um, so she's, she's written about that. I love finding out new things. Whenever whenever we have another magazine, I find out
2: new there's things. Some, and I know that um, Ian Tolly up at Renmark, who's mm. the citrus guru of Australia, really, and I spent quite yep. a bit of time working with him on citrus when I was at Diggers, he, um, he and his wife used to run the Kumquatery, or she okay. used to run it, and yep. she would do glace kumquats, and, yep. uh, um. and they would make little syrups, and yep. but also just eating kumquat miwa <coughs> fresh yep. was yep. a revelation. Yep. For and me.
1: there's some fabulous kumquats that have come yeah. out of Japan and yeah. places like that, and really sort of soft. They're reused. almost like a like a sweet yep. on their own. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and it's funny that this article actually came out of the out of Mifka's on the. Um, ABC Magazine's stand where, where I worked for the whole five days we had the person who'd organised the stand brought in all these kumquat plants to decorate the stand right. where we didn't have a say about, about what was actually and there. And you couldn't
2: leave the stand so you had to eat them? no, <laughs> no <laughs>
1: But all these people were coming in wanting to buy them. Yeah. Okay. So we suddenly realised there's this whole sort of market out there yep. of people, um, particularly from, from Asian background. Yeah. Um, because they're so important in Japan and Korea yes, and yep. various other countries who recognise these plants as plants mm. that from their home countries and, and wanted to buy them.
2: Whereas for us, for, well, I know myself growing up and learning, <coughs> learning horticulture was kumquats were kind of like a little standard in a pot that was a nice thing with these it orange fruits th- it was ornamental it had nice yeah. flowers and the, and, yeah. the, and, the orange,
1: and the orange fruit exactly yeah. but they're used very different mm. ways in, in other countries so, so that was when I sort of looked at Steve and said we need an article about this <laughs> <laughs> write that down so yes and, and this is it so you know it has a, had a long generation um, and the thing that I wrote, or one of the articles that I wrote this time was, is actually about stevia. And I've, am and you will have had, because I know Diggers yep, produces stevia, stevia plants, times, and I've, yep. and I've grown it quite a, quite a few times. Um, it intrigues me that in an era where we're trying to cut down on sugar, that stevia is not more yeah. of a thing in Australia. And again, in Japan, it's been used as a sweetener for 30 years. But it actually, it was only in the mid-90s that, um, the F- Food administration people allowed stevia to be added to foods as a sweetener so but it hasn't really taken off in Australia no it hasn't but but stevia is a really interesting plant because it actually has polyphenols and various other phytochemicals in it that are that are quite important Um, it, it is I know Someone who uses um, stevia all the time as a sweetener in their tea and coffee. So instead of putting sugar in, he picks a couple of leaves, scratches them up, and drops them in, and that's his that's his sweetener. He doesn't use sugar anymore. Mm. And you can Um, the dry leaves. You can buy and and you can can buy buy stevia powder. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know, but it's I'm being a gardener. I want people to grow it. (laughs) I want people to grow it and experiment. (laughs) Is it it, it a
3: a bushy plant or a, a low? It grows as a low bush. Right.
1: But in down here, it's, you've really got to regard it as yeah. an annual. In, yeah. in warmer climates, you can, it can be a perennial mm-hmm. plant and it will yeah. die back. And I've actually managed to get it to stay alive. In a oh, well done. I haven't. With perine- <laughs> as, in the same way as I can get perennial basil to yeah. stay alive. It's- Yep. Um, I keep it in a pot and I move it back under cover and it will die back from the cold, but then it reshoots again yep. from, the, from okay. the root base. But I haven't—it's a few years since I've grown it. Um, it's one of those ones that I want to—I'm not a big sweet eater, so yeah. I wasn't using it as much as I thought. I, I actually might, find stevia really sweet. It's
0: oh, too, too sweet for my palate. If you a bit on the
2: tongue, like just pick yes. a leaf and, and but, suck on it, it but yes. you just strong.
1: use the tiny amount. Oh yes, I so realised, but it's
0: stuff yeah. you were overdoing. illegal. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it is something like four hundred times sweeter than sugar. It is, yes, yeah. it's incredible. So, so I just, for me, I just wanted to throw it out there as something well, that we should be experimenting it's with. It's funny that you
2: say that it, it hasn't sort of picked up mainstream because there was Coca Cola did a stevia a couple they did. of years they ago. Did, there was that yes. green can yes. which was Coca Cola stevia. Yeah, but it, it didn't. didn't I mean, up. maybe it's because they put it in a green can and yeah, no one could kind be. of <laughs> <laughs> associated that with, a, with, a, with that horrible drink.
1: But I just, you know, we're we're really good at growing all sorts of things that in our vegetable and fruit world um i just don't understand why more of us don't grow stevia yeah fair um, enough so this is my my little way of trying to say to people that you should all mm. try growing stevia
2: i think the other sweetener that's that's relatively easy to grow at home that people should have a crack at is licorice as well yeah because yep. it, it, i think it's 50 times yep. sweeter than sugar yeah. the, the little sticks are a, a, a lolly or a treat in themselves yeah but bit.
1: they do have the strong licorice flavor so you need mm. to like the licorice yeah, flavor yeah, that's to true. use it's, it and where is just sweet isn't well it, it? Yeah. does it it has uh, for me it has a few overtones a mm. tiny little taste of herby the, 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 taste well, yes uh, oh. slightly licorice <clears> yeah as mm. well some people find it slightly bitter too but if you if you mix it in with whatever mm. you're cooking and it, you know it, it's actually fine so um, and the other one that is, is sweet is sweet sicily i don't know if you've mm. ever grown sweet sicily but that is a fabulous herb and it is quite sweet but it's another one that has has flavors as well yeah. Yeah. so so if you were looking just for a sweetener this is the one that i would be growing so um I, yeah that's why i wrote this article and i'm hoping that it might encourage more people
2: to grow, to grow it. yeah
0: um, getting back to the kumquats, Tim, can you recommend a variety that is a good one? That's that. That's the sweet? one. I, the
2: one. The single one I would suggest would be Miwa.
0: Miwa. How do you spell that? Uh,
2: I think it's M-E-I-W-A. Okay. Let me yeah, hmm. check the spelling. But I'm, I'm checking it too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's have a look in the magazine article. Yeah, Mewa is, and it's a, um, slightly elongated, sort of teardropped, yeah. rather than the flat. And quite
1: a few of them are. Yeah, quite elongated.
2: Uh, that, w- that was the one that I certainly had great experience with. Good yeah. for marmalade? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're all good they for They can all be marmalade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So
1: Miwa is, is Citrus Crassifolia um, or Japonica Miwa, are yeah. uh, the other two botanical names. So
2: the other one was Nagami. And Nagami. Yeah. So Nagami and Miwa, Miwa Mi- yep. which are quite similar. I yeah.
1: Think. yeah, but they are different. They mm. are different, um, although. <coughs> Not necessarily, that's the same species but different cultivar. Yeah. Mm. Um, and there's also the calamodon, the is the one that. that that's the round ornamental that's one. That's the round that ornamental one yeah. that, that you can make, make brandy. And that actually makes quite a large tree. Yeah, well, large. Well, it can, but yeah. you can also grow it yes. in a pot. But yeah. Um So, and Marumi is the other one, which is the just the standard Citrus japonica. Yep. So, they're yeah, they're, and there's there's a couple that have been crossed with Australian ones as well. Yeah, there's a limequat so, as well. Yeah, is yes, limequat, yes. which, which is Tavari's
2: So, a,
3: a lot of these are, are derived from Japan, is that right?
1: Um, quite a few of yeah. them, yes. The original the Australian mm. very Japanese, were, uh, Japanese yes. Yes. the original Australian one. We're not sure mm. where it came from. Um, but yeah, they're and they're now doing some breeding as well. So and there are other hybrids with other mm. citrus, including with some Australian natives. Yes. So yeah, there's some there's some really interesting ones around. There's even a variegated one, which I hate variegated.
2: Oh. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, brings they, me to my other. Subjects. They always <laughs>
1: look sick. <laughs> but there's a few exceptions to that. But yeah, I don't understand. A, a lot of, <laughs> that was a beautiful segue. That's too. perfect
0: segue yeah. for you, Tim. Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's funny it, you should say that, Penny, because I was walking around my garden yesterday saying, oh, it's hella bores, what else are we going to look at? Oh, coloured foliage, let's talk about variegation, which engenders uh, that response, yes. your response, from a lot of people, um, which I wondered why. I, I, was, I was thinking, Variegation, so variegation for those who listening who don't know what variegation is, is basically it's a, a colour break that's not green. In, in foliage, mm. typically it will be white or yellow. Um, sometimes you can get reds. Uh, and we don't see it much in nature. You don't, So you don't see many mm. wild plants with variegation, typically because it makes the plant weaker yeah. and there's no and evolutionary it's often pressure. it's
1: caused originally by viruses. It virus, it, and, viruses and or mutations. that picked then picked up yeah. and, and bred. And yeah.
2: and there are some species, and I've got one here which is an aloe. This is aloe lophanthra quadricolour, which actually has, so, and you'll see a few of the aloes and ag- agaves have uh, a stripe or a striation in the foliage. Which they is, grow really big, don't they? The oh, some, is, this yeah. is a small one, right. this, but some of them do. Yeah. And, and this has got some pretty serious thorns. Yeah. So don't put it near the kid's uh-huh. garden. Um, but these actually have, it's, it's within their DNA. It's, the, mm-hmm. it's actually propagated um, yep. sexually so that they will get, the, the next generation from a seed mm-hmm. will actually carry that, that trait mm-hmm. in it. Whereas most of the variegation that we see in commercial horticulture is a mutation caused by a virus or some other way, some other chim- chimeral yep. sport, which is then selected by us as gardeners, taken a cutting, and then we grow a plant from, from that. And often they will revert yep. back to so the green form.
1: the little nasturtium that has the beautiful variegated leaf, yep. which I love, Alaska. Alaska, that Alaska? that's right, yep. Um, that one grows true to grows seed. Grows true to seed, so, so it's that, part of the plant. And to me, that is a beautiful... <laughs> variegation <laughs> so, you know. it, it, it does engender And, and the horseradish one too Yeah, there's a, ho- and, but the
2: horseradish one's interesting Because it doesn't display its variegation For like three or four years after you propagate it Okay So it reverts back, back to green Because yep. we had this issue when I w- mm. we were propagating it Tiggers, we mm. propagated it And we were looking at it, going, that's just green And yep. we've just sold it as this, this yep. variegated one But then it did actually manifest two or three years later okay. With that, that beautiful spot Yeah, yeah um, Variegation is having a bit of a renaissance amongst the sort of urban jungle crew who yeah. are, you know, the indoor plant crew. Yeah. I mean, if you see what, <laughs> what sort of prices are paid for a variegated monstera, oh, yes. you know, they are going for hundreds if not thousands of dollars. Yeah. And part of the reason is because what variegation does is it reduces the vigour of the plant. Mm. So it means that it doesn't have as much chlorophyll on the leaves, so therefore it's not as strong. So you're playing
3: thousands for a plant that's going to die. Well, this this has happened before (laughs) (laughs) in in commercial
2: horticulture. (laughs) (laughs) Fragmented. This this, this, tulip mania, which was the huge craze back in the 1700s in Amsterdam, was based on a virus, which was basically a plant getting a, yeah. a, a, a coloration that was sought and, after but not healthy. And the other
1: thing with variegations is that you, if, any, if you get any shoots that are not variegated, you need to cut them off. Yep. Otherwise, that will take over. It will the take part, over. So. Mm. so the
2: variegation is very much a human construct in, mm. in, those, in most of the plants that we see. Mm. Um, oh, look, I, I brought in a couple of variegated plants. I've got a, this, <laughs> the, the, I've got a variegated echium, uh, which is called a star of Madeira. Um, I, this one's an interesting one for me because... It's a plant that looks fantastic with its variegation before it flowers. Mm. When it flowers, it's like this clunky gear shift. The flower yep. looks one colour, then it looks like it just a does, mess. It doesn't work. So it's almost yeah. like you want to cut the flower off and maintain the foliage colour. Yep. Um, but, you know, it, Echium's the, the pride of Madeira. This is Star of Madeira, which gives that sort of yep. light foliage. It actually is a real standout in my, my garden mm. in, the, in, the, in the winter months. Um, I like that one. This one's this other one here that Penny's pointing to is Euphorbia Silver Swan. So this is one of the um, well, there's so many euphorbias around. This is one of the sort of the, the leafy euphorbias. Uh like it's uh Wolfinii Caracus Cross. Uh so at this time of the year you've got it's a it's a beautiful sort of gilt. Clear white edge on a silver. Yeah. On a silver. And it's only and on, this the, one on the, f- the edge. So. Yeah. It's and only the, on the edge. And yeah. in this
1: one, the flower matches the very Yeah, areas. and this yes, one, the flower runs through. Really well. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah,
2: this one, it's not yeah. a, a clunky gear yeah. shift. It does actually run through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember. I must have been last time, last year, sometime. I was in here with John Arnott yep. talking about. Um, oh so yeah. So they were trying to select for yeah for the, the tenant guards in Crown and they were That's looking right. for a silver leaf plant.
0: That's right.
2: For their new planting, and they'd been through this exhaustive list of. And he ended up with a variegated westringia. called And John smoking. hates oh, variegation. He was, up, he was up in arms, but that was the selection. But the, the reason they got there, because from a distance it gave the effect of silver or grey. Yep, yes. And yep. that is, I think, a really pertinent point for us, is that there, there are times when you're looking to lighten up a dark spot yes, in a garden. Exactly. And variegation can do that. Mm. A whole garden of variegation? Probably a bit too much. (laughs) Use it carefully, use it wisely. Uh, I'm interested to hear what people have to say about Mm. variegation. Mm. It does engender a certain Mm. visceral Mm. response for some reason. (laughs) I'm curious as to why that is. Uh. Penny, uh, have
0: you still got your variegated horseradish?
1: Uh, No. Oh, because no, I have? I, I lost mine. Oh. Yeah, no, mine's no, still going stop, strong. got swamped, I think. Okay. It's in its um, dormant stage, and okay. I forgot that it was there. Yeah. But that's one I, I can live with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I said. I, li- I like the horseradish and yep. I like the nasturtium. Yep. Uh, I think they're really good, and I will get another horseradish <laughs> at some <laughs> point. Well, you could branch out and get a euphorbia. I as could, well. I could, indeed.
0: <laughs> well, your and garden's I, very
2: practical. You can't eat euphorbia. No. In fact, it's, it's, I've got a rash on my hand almost from the one I've brought oh, in.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, you don't want to get the milk sap onto you.
2: The other one I brought in, um, which is just a leaf of, uh, like it's a begonia rex. Mm. I'm not sure which one it is. I think it's an old one that's been, yep. it's been, was passed to me from someone else. I okay. have no idea what the cultivar is. But it actually has a, a deep burgundy uh, plus mm. a black margin. It's actually got a black centre and a black margin on the leaf. Mm. So there's no green at all, there's no white, but it's a fascinating, you know, th- this thing doesn't flower, I've never seen mine flower. Okay. But that's so its you're just growing it for the just foliage? Just growing it for that foliage, yep. which is absolutely yep. stunning. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, you'd think that, again, that's probably something that wouldn't have a place in a, you know, a wild setting, because it's probably, well, actually, I think with the red, mm. there's still chlorophyll in here, there's still abun- abun- mm. abundance of chlorophyll, but the anthocyanins, the red pigment yep. takes over. Yep. So it's quite different in a way to the white variegation where, where the white and yellows, there's an absence of chlorophyll. But some of these red foliage plants, the chlorophyll's still mm. there, but it's just, it's masked by other, other mm. pigments. That so almost
0: looks like it's been burnt round the edge. No, I didn't <laughs> do that. It's so dark. <laughs> I,
2: again, I'll put some pictures up because uh, I've taken some photos of these, uh, mm. so people can have a look. But that, I mean, that's it's a, a kind of a classic grandma yeah. <laughs> It's quite
3: Jurassic in a way.
2: Yeah, but yeah. if you, when uh, this is one of these plants that I would have walked past many times, it, mm. probably on my grandma's windowsill. Mm. But mm. when you look at it closely, it's like wow, that is a fascinating, interesting yeah. plant. So,
3: would you even add interest?
1: Do you get a lot of variegated? Have you got a lot of variegated plants at Ripon Lake?
3: Oh, that's a specific garden question. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And I don't want to say the wrong thing because our gardeners are probably listening. But uh, some of those that I see sitting on this table look certainly familiar and I'm sure that we, we, we do have a collection of them. Yeah. You'll yeah.
1: have to report back.
0: Yes. yes
3: yeah. exactly. Look, if any of our gardeners are listening, I've, yeah, got, phone my work, in. I've got my work <laughs> mobile on me. You can you can answer that question for me.
0: Well, or, they can just ring in on our number, 94190155. And well, and, us and us if know. anyone
3: wants to comment on
0: variegated yes, plants, exactly. so I want to hear what people I mean, say. do you love them or hate yeah, them? They yes. seem
2: to be a very polarising
0: Exactly. Now, I have had a message uh, ring in on the outside line um, that uh, the Waverley Garden Club and Camellia's Victoria show, um, now it was listed for me from uh, Royal Horticultural Society as being on next weekend on the 17th and 8th, but in fact it's on this weekend. It's on today. This weekend is
1: the 17th and 18th. No. No, this weekend. Yes. Today Today is is the
0: 18th. Yeah, that's right. I think I must have said next week. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It is today.
0: It is today. So just a reminder to listeners, if you haven't made plans for today and you want to go down and see it, that is on today. Okay. And we've had uh, another query from the outside line. Um, Betty wants to know how to get rid of Bluebell, the the Sollier, Bulbs are growing amongst tree roots, and she wants suggestions apart from digging them out.
2: (laughs) 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 I
1: wonder why she said
2: that. (laughs) Because we were going to say dig them out. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs)
1: Uh, Look, one of the one of the solutions to these rotten bulb problems is persistence, and what I do in those sort of situations is to keep cutting them off. Because those bulbs can't survive. Yeah, but you can't always get in with a lawnmower. With but, but if you can just get in every two or three weeks and you just cut off any new growth that's coming up, the bulbs will not survive if they don't have leaves to feed them. Yep. So that it might take you a year of doing this on a regular basis. But you will eventually get on top of it. Well, if you, it. you want to do it without digging. Yeah, if you don't want to dig and don't want to poison, mm. um, then that's really the only thing you can look at doing. The, the only other thing would be to mulch heavily over the top with a thick layer of wet newspaper and then something else on top of that, and that will just stop them from coming and up. That'll before. have to be pretty thick, though. it would have, have to be thick, yeah. a pretty
2: impervious yes. layer. Yeah. But it yeah. will work. And, yeah. yeah, so
1: if you leave it there for 12 months... You just need to make sure, I don't know if the trees that they're coming up underneath are precious, you wouldn't want to have it right up next to the trunk because mm. you may cause cholera or something like that. Mm. But in some way you have to stop those bulbs from being fed by the leaves that are growing. So either really solid thick layer of mulching um, that is impermeable or keep cutting them off, mm. or both. Or both, yeah. yes. So what Peter Kundal recommends for, oxal- for some oxalis things is that he heavily mulches and then if they start coming up around the edges, you actually pull it back, cut them off and then push the mulch back, back on top quickly, again. Yeah, but they get a <laughs> <and> <laughs> That's right. Yes. So, but it's persistence. You yes. can't forget about it, because if you forget about it, it yes, feeds the bulbs again. And Fair enough. And I think that
2: with that mulching option, it's important that it's not just mulch. You need it like cardboard yeah, or, or, yeah. or several layer layers of, wheat, of newspaper. yeah. 10, 15 yeah.
1: layers of wet newspaper, yeah, yeah. and then you put the mulch on top of it. Because the mulch itself yeah, it, no, it can it probably make through. its way through. And yeah. particularly if it's, if it's going to break down. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay,
0: you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. So if you'd like to jump on the phones quickly and ask a gardening question, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to Penny, Tim or Matt. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Susie on the outside line, 94198377. Matt, getting back to Rip and Lee, we should mention that um, if listeners want to keep in touch with what Events are coming
3: up or whatever's happening in the garden. Mm. You've got a website. We do, yes. The Rip Lee website, au, And also the National Trust of Victoria website as well. Okay. Um, is a great one to go onto and you can put in your details and you'll be kept up to date via an email message um, with what events are, are, are taking place, not just at Rip Lee, but at all. Our other properties like Mooramong and, um, uh, Como and La Bassa and, uh, Polly Woodside, the boat, and Old Melbourne Jail, and the list goes on and on.
2: <laughs> wow. That's yeah. quite a, that's quite a... We're, diverse. We're very diverse. Very diverse. But also, they're the
3: highlights of Melbourne. Like that's that absolutely, is, absolutely. old yeah. Melbourne jails yeah. um, is is is, a, is one of our is really our, our busiest property. You know, uh, it it's you know it can have thousands of people attend there a day.
0: Well, it's become a, a
1: real reception centre, hasn't it? For, for
0: a lot all of, sorts events. of events. A lot of yeah. events
3: happening.
1: Yes, uh, and what we should probably add is this, if you're a National Trust member, you get into all these places for free. So, that's and it's very, not that expensive. No, and it's not. If you're going overseas, you get all, all every, the everywhere, rights everywhere. into all the national trust, the pro, trust properties yeah, through the, the, UK, the UK, and um, um, Italy.
3: Um, I think Spain as well, and and some other countries on top of those.
1: Gosh, yeah.
0: So, so well worth And one. you get a discount oh, to,
3: uh, to the events.
0: Yeah. There you go. When they're running. Okay. And the other thing I should mention is that if people are interested in these National Trust gardens, um, and particularly Rip and Lee, um, our very good friend Dr. Ann Vale has written a book, um, Gardens of the National Trust of Australia, a beautiful book with lots and lots of, um, coloured photographs, um, really detailing, um, a history of, of not only the houses uh, involved or, in some cases, the bush blocks or, or whatever um, the property involves, but also the gardens. So um, well worthwhile having a look at that. It has actually been published by the National Trust of Australia, so you can get hold of um, a copy, I'm sure, through their website.
3: Or at Ripley, you can or come Ripley, in and buy one in the in the bookshop right there.
0: Absolutely. So uh, well worthwhile if you're at all interested in, in any of these historical Um, properties that are uh, under the auspices of the National Trust of Australia. Okay, uh, Tim, what else is on your... You've got new plants coming through, I presume, still at the moment, because you'll have a bumper release ready for spring. Is that the general idea?
2: (laughs) Probably our biggest release uh hitting the market shortly is a new lavender called the Queen. Okay. So we work uh quite closely with the lavender breeding team or the breeding plant breeding team at Plant Growers Australia out in Wonga Park. Um and they've got uh, they've had you would gardeners would be aware of um, lavender varieties like the Princess or uh the Fairy Wing series yes. or the Ruffle series. Um this is um actually quite uh, quite an amazing thing to have on our doorstep is a dedicated breeding house that are putting, that have put 20 or 30 years worth of breeding program into Various garden plants, but lavenders especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, following on the on, on the I guess the the success and the, the popularity of the Princess comes the Queen this year as the right. new release. So, do we um,
0: assume it's it's larger than life? For, yeah. <laughs> well, there's to been the much princess. debate
2: about it. where's the King sit? Yes, where's yes. the you know where's the Duke? Mm. You know, so <laughs> having fun with names. Of course, the, the Queen. Um, yeah, if I could just, so these are lavender stoches, which is the Spanish lavender type. So these are the lavenders with the large winged bracts on top of the flower, of the floret. Um, so the princess, which has, has been the most popular over the last five years or so, has quite a rich pink, um, um both the flower head and the wing. Uh, now the queen has quite a sort of a, sort of a, a lilac coloured flower and, and the wings themselves are a, a sort of a mauvey lilac and then they age to pink. Okay. So they're, they're starting to hit stores, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks as they start to run into their first flush of flower. Mm -hmm. So keep an eye out for that one. It's not a, not on a big release yet. Um, or no, it's actually reasonable numbers in, in Melbourne. Um, uh, we haven't done much up north, but it's, it's got great potential and we, we think that the queen will be something that will have a spot in gardens, in sunny gardens throughout the whole eastern seaboard and across to Western Australia as well. In fact, it's, um, the, the the lavender breeding program of uh, the PGA team is coming under the uh, uh, the, the banner of Lavanova is, is, the, okay. is the, the breeding house we're putting it under. Okay. And we're actually taking that overseas as well. Oh. So we're having terrific success in the U.S. with these varieties. There's uh, in, in the U.S. they sell a stoichous um, lavender called Anook, which is not available much in Australia. Um, which is probably a good thing because they grow it a lot and sell millions and millions of them. But talking to the growers over there, they're not particularly happy with it as a variety. But it's the only one they can really mm-hmm. get. Um, Whereas they're so excited with the, some of the stuff that's coming through from Lavanova because it is much bigger wing size. Like the, you know, the wings on these are, you know, up to nearly two inches tall. Wow. Um, so right. or, and, and that's, that's probably the top end. I yes. Mean, but yes. typically at least an inch. Yes. Whereas something like a nook has, it oh, it probably have a quarter of an inch, okay. half an inch as, as the wing. So these things really are showy, um, showy lavender plants that give Incredible flower power. Um,
1: can I just say that over the years there have been a lot of stickers cultivars that have not lasted very long. Mm. I have found that with Princess that it lasts really well. It's a really, um, you know, some of the some of some of the others, some of the other bred ones, you would only get a year to two yeah. years out of them, and then they cark. Um, I've had princess now in the garden. Well, actually, it's ghostly princess, which oh, yes. I really like. Yep, from um, the same batch. Yeah, um, same and I've had that in the garden now for four or five years. Yep. And it's still growing strong and doing really well. So, uh, you know, this is a really nice group of lavenders. And if, you, if you've experienced some of the other ones that haven't survived, it's well worth trying yep, there are, these ones.
2: It, they're markedly different. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I know I'm, I guess I'm involved with the, yeah. the breeding team. I don't do the breeding, but I've talked to them quite a lot. Um, so I, in, a, in a sense, I'm biased, but I've seen what they're doing. But yeah. so PGA have employed, they have a permanent um, breeder on staff. Mm-hmm. So they've got a young guy who's a graduate, who's a bot- botany graduate, and that's what he does. That follows from 25 years of mm-hmm. breeding. And the reason that something like the princess or the queen or ghostly princess stand out is because they have rejected... Yeah, of. Yeah, of but that's selections. what I'm trying to say is yeah. I think
1: that it's really good to see really good quality breeding yeah. coming yeah. through in this area because before that really the only one that of, you know, apart from the, the original species mm. Uh, and a couple of the others was something like Avon View, yeah, yeah. which lasts really well and flowers really well. But it's nice to see this yeah. work and this is good work going in and only being released when they're when they right. really good. That's right, and they've been uh, yeah, to see tested. what gets thrown away. Yeah, is the yeah. testament to what's yep.
2: going on. So, yeah, so hey, yeah, have a look out for the Queen. Mm. Um, that's that's uh, uh, probably our biggest release. Of okay. The year. Okay, um, and there's oh there's always lots of things coming. But, oh
0: come um, on, Tim, yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> You're holding back, Tim.
2: Well, what I, I mean, I think I've talked before about some of the others that are, are starting to gain some traction. Um, I think it's a variegated plant. Going back to a variegated <laughs> conversation, but Carrick's Fe- not listening. Carrick's <laughs> Feather Falls is one that we're seeing terrific traction around. Um, the it's because it's. Carrots in the in the landscape or in gardens can melt in the sun, or they get they drown in the winter, um, or they the, the cold will affect them. But we've found this one to be completely bulletproof, uh, and it takes um, it takes 40 degrees plus you know, freezing cold and, and, and inundation. So carrots, feather falls. Um, I did talk about this one last time I was on here, which is uh, the Bob Magnus's um, selection, the Magnus Summer Surprise Apple. Yes. So this has just been released this year. We've and um, is still available on the market now. I know you can get them through through Bob's Nursery at Woodbridge Nurseries via mail order, uh, and various other retail outlets have got them. So this is this is quite a great story. Um, for those that don't know who Bob is, Bob's been working with Heritage Apples for thirty odd years, probably a bit more, um, down in Signet, down in uh, down in Tasmania. So. For for some years there was a research station um, at Grove in in Tasmania, the Grove Research Station, which was the repository for heritage apples in particular. I think they had pears as well, and they had. It was you know, the apple aisle, huh? Well, was yeah, the exactly. apple aisle, and, and they were exporting fancy apples mm. back to yes. the to the UK. Mm. You know that was how that industry began. Um, but that research station has basically fallen out of public hands and is no longer really as accessible as as it once was. But luckily, Bob spent years um, picking through that orchard mm. and replicated the best of it at his place, um, at, at Woodbridge Fruit Trees. But uh, And and what this one is, is actually it's an interesting little story. He got Huonville crab, which was a selection that he found on a roadside, mm. which is a red-fleshed apple, but it's a crab apple. It's only quite yes. small and it's okay. a bit bitter. Um, and he's been selling that for mm. 20-odd years. One year, well, one, this was probably about 15 years ago, uh, the end of a crop, they had a bunch of fruit, he just sort of pulped it all for juice and spread the seed out and see what happened. He got 50 germinants out of that and has selected over the years, uh, grafted some of those onto, onto rootstock to make them fruit and Magnus Summer Surprise is the result of that. So it's, it's maternal parent is Huonville crab. Its paternal parent could be any of the three or four hundred varieties that sit <laughs> in his orchard. <laughs> right. So we we don't know. Yes. Because it's an open cross. Okay. Um, but it's a it's it's a bit larger than than the Hewenville crab, so it's actually an eating size apple, like a dessert apple, and it's got a really fascinating flavour. It's, it's sweet, but also got sort of raspberry tones to it. Um, I'm one of the lucky ones that's been able to eat the fruit. There's only been probably I don't know. He's had he's had fruit for three or four years. Um, But we've got to the point where now we can propagate it and release it through the market. So red, beautiful red, like block red uh, flesh on the outside, sorry, skin on the outside. Yep. And as you cut into it, the the red bleeds right in, not quite to the centre, so you can get like a white star in the middle Okay. and red flesh um, around that white star. So magnus summer surprise.
0: So is it purely an eating apple or is... You Can you could, cook with
2: it? Well, it's it's kind of to be discovered in a way. Right. Uh, you have, you, these things get classified as time goes on and, and people use them. Yep. Um, I mean, someone asked me about the chilling requirements of it, and I was actually I don't know because no one's done the work. We we know it grows in Tasmania, we know it grows in Melbourne. Yep. But how well it would grow up in the sort of northern areas, I don't know. So, it was have a try. Mm. Um, in terms of, I mean, it's a, it's it's a fresh eater, but it's. Got some of those sort of more complex tones which would lend it to cooking as mm. well. I'm um, just
0: wondering if it would hold its colour if you it, cook with
2: it. Well, we took one of these to the Willie Smith Cider Maker down in Tassie. Okay. Because uh, there's a bit of an association. Yep. Um, and the cider maker there cut, squeezed it, cut it open, and the juice comes out. So, firstly, we took we took a piece of fruit that had been cut a week ago. Right. And it had... Basically no oxidation. Really? So there's something in the anthocyanins, or something mm. in there that's that's helping mm. the, the, the oxidation get, get suppressed. Um, but also when when it was squeezed or when you sort of crushed the juice out, the juice comes out quite a rich red colour too. Mm. And the comment that the cider maker made was that quite often they, you'll get oxidisation quickly and then the, the juice goes brown. But this was holding the red juice, even just straight... You no know, as as it was being crushed, so I imagine in cooking it would it's ooh, going to hold its yeah. color. he was interested in it for rose cider yes, of course. Um, no, because no, rose comforting. well, most rose cider is actually normal apples with mm. strawberries or or yeah, rasp yeah, yeah, it it it. It. Yeah.
1: one mm. of the lovely things about this is that it 's not just the fruit that are bright red, but it's also the flowers that are yeah. a, a deep pinky purple, and the stems everything yeah. that yeah. are are purple as well, so it's mm. You can even it's a cut really, the stem It's open a really and, yeah. decorative tree, yeah. quite, mm. apart from the, quite apart mm. from the fruit. So this picture, we've there's a picture. There's a little picture in the Organic, in, garden, in Organic magazine. garden magazine. <laughs> so,
2: so if you want more information about that, it's probably have a look oh, in the Organic Gardener magazine or you can have a look on the PMA website, www.pma.com.au and search Magnus Summer Surprise. And there's a whole bunch of information about Bob, about the variety uh, and some photographs um, on, yeah, and yeah, have a good look at it that way, get some good information.
0: So I presume that that, that um, you people are now working with it, and those trees are going to become more readily available. Yeah, so
2: there actually there's a, a commercial propagator in in Monbulk, uh, okay. who's doing the, doing the wholesale, uh, and so there are beer root trees available in, in retailers, and there will be potted trees available through the summer. And there'll be more next year, so we're building the numbers. Yes, yes. And there are actually more varieties coming too.
1: Brilliant. Okay. There's another one. So it's a sort of it's a bit of a limited release this time. This time was a limited release
2: because we we had some trouble getting big numbers. Yeah, but next year there'll be lots. Yeah, so there'll be lots more to see. Brilliant, brilliant. Mm. Look out for the the label has a little picture of Bob's head (laughs) (laughs) and a couple of red apples.
0: Um, Which he's
3: embarrassed by. Sorry, <laughs>
2: Matt,
0: Bob. Do you know? do you know how many varieties
1: of heritage apples you have in the orchard? Damn it.
0: Uh,
3: there's, there's pears in there as well, About okay. 100, over 130. Wow.
1: Yeah. And how many of those would be pears?
3: Uh, at a guess, probably about 5%. Okay. Yeah, not he a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. And, yeah, we have our um, heritage apple festival in March, and... Um, the team from the Victorian Heritage Fruit Society come along and um, they do a workshop and we do tastings and pruning examples and, um, yeah, it's a a really nice day. And, of course, we we sell the trees.
1: Do they sell scion as well? Sorry? Do they sell the scion as well?
3: Uh, I'm not sure for grafting.
1: I yeah. think they I probably
0: think, would. I th- yeah, th-
3: yeah. We we well we, we we do graft and and so we have a nursery at Riponley yeah. So we we sell the trees themselves. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And it's a great nice bit of actual uh, revenue that we make. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, Busy that's day. great. Popular.
0: Yeah, excellent. Okay, uh, just a little message from the outside line and from Sir Kilda. Uh, has a suggestion Uh, after noticing a lack of small birds in her garden she decided to place a small mirror in her garden and since doing that she now has a small wren visiting so she's encouraging others if they have a lack of bird life um maybe put in a mirror (laughs) i'd say plant a few bovilliers and and birds
2: birds love their own reflection yes we do
1: but it's also, they're doing it because they think it's
2: a, like, a, a companion. It's
1: yeah. a yes, companion it's a mate. Or yeah. they're, or they're mm-hmm. you know, it, particularly if You're they're full-coloured one. ones. Yeah. yeah yes. it, they can get quite aggressive and try and peck each other. Peck yes, the they will. They'll, they'll tap, tap, tap on it too. So I well think on as, their windows. As well yeah. as the mirror, it's probably a good idea to put a few seed-bearing plants and some prickly plants to give them cover. Um, and some water. Yes. So if you put all of that together, I think that's a great idea. Then you might have a bird-attracting yes. garden. Yes. yes, that's right. I agree, yes. but not
0: just the mirror. Yes. yes. But uh, good on her for, for yeah, noticing. Indeed. Her. Yeah. indeed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay, so have you got any talks coming up, Penny?
1: I'm doing uh, quite a few in October on <laughs> on um, tomatoes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Funny about that. Um, so yeah, there's just, I haven't got any in September, though I'm having a bit of a break. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's Sustainability Festival in Peran, I'm doing some, doing some talks there, um, the second weekend of October. Then I'm going actually to Tassie to the tomato, um, sale again. And there's quite a nice story around that, if, if I've got time yes, to tell that. Yes, you have. Okay, um, in, in, uh, when you have red tomatoes, red tomatoes are red because of the lycopene. So the phytochemical or the antioxidant in the, in the tomato is lycopene that causes red. The particular lycopene in red tomatoes is called, um, trans lycopene. And, um, it is not very absorbable by the human body because of the chemical makeup of the lycopene. So it sits in your, um, in your gut and only about sort of 10 to 15% of it will actually be absorbed if, if you're eating, um, fresh tomatoes. If you cook them with oil, Um, or any other fat that increases the absorbability of the lycopene. So, um, and lycopene has, you know, work that they've done with it has shown that it might help prevent prostate cancer and a couple of other cancers. It also might help with, um, heart disease. So, and there's a few other, other things they think about. Um, now there's been some work in New Zealand with a small not-for-profit organisation over there where they found, um, with some heirloom orange tomatoes, that there's actually a different form of lycopene in the orange tomatoes. Okay. And it's called um, trans-cis-lycopene. And um, the trans-cis-lycopene is 8.5 times more absorbable than the um, ordinary lycopene. So um, it's a much better, health-wise, it's a much better um lycopene to be eating because it's more readily absorbable into the body. So this, this um, organisation in Tassie has been experimenting. What they decided was that they had to work out which of the heirloom orange tomatoes actually had the, the, um, the cis lycopene and which had the ordinary lycopene. Um, or beta carotene, which is what usually gives orange things their colour, which yep. is what gives orange carrots their colour. So, there are, of the heirloom tomatoes, there are some that are, get their orange from beta carotene, and there are some that get their orange from the cis lycopene that's much more absorbable. Um, and they've found um, about 160 different heirloom orange Wow. Tomatoes, which they've actually, because they don't have the same import restrictions that we have with the whole of the Solanaceae family, right? They've been able to bring a lot of seed in from the US and, f- and from other countries. Okay. And they now have a list on their website of all these of all these um, cis-lycopene orange, golden tomatoes. So they're not yellow tomatoes. They're golden orange. Um, tangerine is the is the other word they use to describe them, um, and what they have done is um, they, they're giving seed away, uh, if for a donation to their, because it's a not-for-profit organisation and the work that they're doing. But we can't import that into Australia because of the because of the agriculture restrictions on, yep. on the whole of the Solanaceae family. But Margot has um, or imported 60 of them, Gosh. and they're going to have them for sale at the tomato sale this year in Tassie. Whereabouts so in Tasmania is it? The, this is at, in the Botanic Gardens in, in Hobart. In mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, as for for about ten years now, Margot has been growing. She's one of the horticulturalists there. She's been growing tomatoes, um, thousands of them, for sale at uh, two sale dates in October, and um, I think it's the eighteenth and the twentieth mm-hmm. this time. Anyway, it's those. It's the Thursday and the Saturday around that that date, um, and. Amongst the couple of hundred different cultivars of heirloom tomatoes that they're going to have for sale, there are going to be limited amounts um, of these of these orange cis-lycopene tomatoes. Huh. So I just think it's an absolutely as, as fascinating seed, story. No the, seedlings. So seedlings. So they don't okay. sell seed, only okay. seedlings, and they're beautiful, strong seedlings that um, you need to go down there and you need to buy them. And and, okay. uh, and, and there's no
0: restrictions once they're. They've been imported once into they've Tassi, been imported into Tasmania. you
1: fine, and and what will happen, and this is what's happened with a lot of the other ones that they have imported and, and sold, is that the local seed companies um, will buy seedlings and will grow them and yep. will collect the seed and they'll have them more they'll have them available on the market. We have three cultivars, okay. named cultivars in Australia already that are in that group. Yep. and um, you're going to ask me what they are, and I'm not <laughs> sure <laughs> I'm going to remember the names of them, but I'll, um, I'll let you know, Okay, um, and I may remember in the next five minutes. But um,
2: is, is one of them Juan Flame?
1: No, it's not, I'm afraid. I bought some of that yesterday. Beta-carotene. So uh, beta-carotene is still really good for you, but it's just this new lycopene, and it just shows the importance of our heirloom. Seeds and plants, yes, because absolutely. if someone hadn't hung on to these yeah. orange tomatoes, yeah. we would <coughs> never have discovered that yeah. they contain oh. this different sort of lycopene that's been completely bred out of all our mm. other tomatoes. Yeah. So it's, and the orange ones are some of the original mm. tomatoes that were around 500 years ago, because mm. the first ones that got taken over to Europe were actually orange ones, not mm. red ones. Um, and you know, so it, they've been around for, for a hell of a long time. Gertie's Gold is one of the ones that, okay, we've got well that Seed Freaks sells, and I'm just having a mental. So Seed freaks the other have time. got the seedlings. Seed Freaks sell. has got no the, seeds. the of, seeds. There's three of these. Okay, right, right. And I'm actually writing about it for the next edition of Organic Carbon okay. Magazine. Um, so um, Seed Freaks has got, Gerties, got Aunt Aunt Gertie's Gold, um, so it's it's not Aunt Gertie's Green, which is another one that's more more widely available, um, and. Tasmanian natural garlic and tomatoes has got the other two um, that are the orange ones. But as I said, I'm not going to remember. But I look, I just think it's a really interesting story and a really important story. And, And if you happen to be down in Tasmania at that time, it would be well worth going and getting yourself a few seedlings. Excellent. Okay, Tim, we've had a query from the outside line there.
0: Yeah, we had a, a, couple, que- of a, queries.
2: a, a couple of queries. One was about um, where to get hold of lavender Sidoni, which is lavender pinata. Um, it's and the question was, Karanga don't have it. Now Karanga are a native nursery, but yes. that lavender is not actually a native. It's not a not Australian it was, native. It was it bred in Australia. Was bred With in Australia, bread, but yes, it's not but a native, so it actually should be fairly widely available in garden nurseries so ask for it because it's still grown by a lot of wholesalers okay um i don't know off the top of my head which ones would have it but it's it's around yes but but not necessarily an australian native the other question that was on here was a xanthidesia that was uh in a deep tall pot when to repot um they'll grow any time really so i would have thought pot it up now (laughs) chop it back and pot it up and it'll grow away happily
0: excellent okay well, we've just about run out of time for yet another week. Um, <clears throat> I must uh, encourage listeners, if you've never been to visit um, uh Lee Estate, do go along. I think you will just absolutely fall in love with the garden. It's hard not to. Very hard not to. Um, give out the address of Riponlea Estate again, please, One, Yeah, map.
3: 192 Hotham Street uh, in Elstonwick. It's very, very easy to get to by train. It's about... 12, 15 minutes from the city, get off at Ripponlea Station, mm-hmm. uh, named after, obviously, Ripon obviously. Lee. Ripon being um, Sir Frederick Sagwood's mother's surname, um, yes. maiden name, rather, and Lee meaning Meadow. And uh, you can get a bus there, or there's good parking um, through the weekdays around the area as well, around the surrounding streets. Excellent. And you've come along to um, Botanica, happening on the, on the 20th of October. Um, and if you're a community group out there that might like to take part in the event, um, contact me via the, via the email on the website as well.
0: Brilliant. Okay, excellent. A big thank you to the team, to Penny, Tim and to Matt for coming in specially this morning and also to Susie and Emma who've been handling all the phones this morning. We will, of course, uh, be back uh, next Sunday morning at 7.30. So until then, bye for now.